So today we have Theo Al-Ali, a prolific investor in Northeast property and a very close friend of mine. Known for having the biggest biceps in property, welcome Theo. Hi Dave, thanks for having me and uh, I don't think I can top that introduction, can I? You don't need to mate, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> uh, so thanks for coming on mate, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so for people who don't know you, if they've been living under a rock over the, under the last decade, um, who is Theo Alali? So I'm a property investor and developer in based in, in around sort of Middlesbrough, the Teesside area in the northeast. Um, and I've bought and uh, refurbished several properties within within the area. Uh, hasn't always started off that way. Um, I was I did go to university um, and studied to become an engineer. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, and then once I realised sort of the uh, the corporate career wasn't for me, um, built up a property portfolio alongside and then moved into it full time. Right, so you said you studied engineering, did you actually work in engineering thereafter then? Yeah, so I was an engineering project manager for a manufacturing company um, and I'd done that for about five or six years. So you didn't like the engineering from day one or was it something that you, you grew to sort of dislike? No, it's, uh, I mean, I was quite enthusiastic for the first couple of years within engineering. Um, I couldn't wait to sort of get stuck in and, and, um, and dive into the, the field of engineering. Um, but after a few years, I just didn't enjoy the constraints that you have in a typical corporate career. Um, whether it's asking for holidays off, whether it's obviously asking to uh, work around flexible hours, um, and, and not having sort of much flexibility in, in sort of in, in what you what you do. So that's when uh, I started looking for alternative ways to uh, to make money. So basically, you wanted to be your your own boss. Exactly. Uh, did you always know that? I always knew that. I mean, ever since I was was a young kid, you you ask kids these days, what do you want to be? They want to be an astronaut. They want to be a, a physician. They want to be whatever. Um, I've always wanted to be a businessman. I didn't know what a businessman was. Um, all I knew was. If no one tells a businessman what to do, they go around doing, doing so, what the fuck they want. Yeah, so for property though, what I understand wasn't your first business, was it? What was your no, first business? No, it wasn't. So I did, um, so I had a, a takeaway. So I had a, a, pizza, right. a, a pizzeria takeaway. I opened that up at the age of 17. Wow. So um, I purchased a rundown sort of fish and chip shop in a in a very rough part of Middlesbrough called Berwick Hills. Um and I uh, very nice place is anyone from Berwick Hills listening very nice place <laughs> people are lovely it's just uh, just the area lets itself down sometimes but yeah, yeah I mean that's that's Middlesbrough you've got good pockets and bad pockets oh, like anywhere isn't it yeah exactly so yeah um, I uh, purchased sort of a rundown fish and chip shop um, over over 10 years ago now and uh, and yeah, basically, I um, repurposed it to uh, to a pizzeria because that was what sort of what my experience was. Back to brick refurb? No, I wasn't. I wasn't as quite as back to brick, but it was uh, it was back to sort of back to oven refurb. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, so it was um, it was it was good um, because it sort of opened my eyes into how to run a business, how to deal with staff, how to deal with the financials. Um, obviously dealing with stock and dealing with customers uh, it really brought me out of my shell and uh, it taught me that business in business you have to be good with people because yeah. um, if you're not good with people um, 
it's going to be quite tough. So doing that at age 17, I'm just imagining now what, what I was doing at 17. It was, it was nothing like buying businesses. So at 17, moving forward, that I know you've just touched on it there, but the amount of confidence that that must have given you for, for, the, for the coming years to, to know that you can deal with a business age 17, what else is possible from, from then on? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I'd, I was working in, in sort of in takeaways um, as a part-time business around school and, and college since the age of 15. Yeah. Um, and after sort of two years of working for, for other people, um, I basically wanted to open up my own business, and that's when I seen that opportunity um, to buy a to buy a sort of a, a failing business, really, and, and turn turned it around. I can't fail to see the irony in the fact that you own a takeaway and you have the most stringent and clean diet <laughs> that I've ever know ever seen on any man. I tell you what, you can live on takeaways and still have a very nutritious uh, <laughs> lifestyle. Chicken, grilled chicken kebabs are the way forward, You're I'm right, telling yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, a regular user of the old chicken kebab. <laughs> so, all the kebabs. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, so, from business, what age were you when you started to think about buying property? Uh, so, I, um, so, I had that takeaway from the ages of 17 to 19. So, I turned it around in those two years and then sold it on for a little profit. Um, and I come from a very traditional family, Middle Eastern family. Um, so my father we had always had our career paths sort of mapped out ever since sort of day one, which, which, is, which is the case with, with especially Middle Eastern families. Um, so it was sort of go to school, get good grades, go to university, yeah. uh, pick a discipline. It's either, you've only got three choices really. You're either going to be a doctor, an engineer or a lawyer. Um, so obviously I went down the engineering route. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's sort of gone on from there. So, how old were you when you when you first bought your first property? Then, so I bought it at nineteen. Wow, okay. um, so I sold the business um, at nineteen and had some had some money, obviously from the from the proceeds of sale. Um, and I uh, decided there's there's to put the money into property, really, because it's, yeah. it's probably so not where, where does that stem from, then? What's, um, have you, were your parents ever property investors or family members or friends? or? Yeah, so, I mean, I come from humble beginnings, uh, but my dad did have uh, a couple of properties that he had uh, invested in. Um, he invested in sort of uh, in the early 2000s when every man and his dog seemed to be investing in property back then. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and obviously he bought a few um, in those in those times. Um, yeah, so I, I already sort of had a, a, a sort of a slight glimpse of, of, of property and property investment. Uh, but it wasn't sort of the... Uh, the way that I had envisioned to invest in property. Yeah. So were you around property? Did you go to your dad's sort of refurbs or did you meet tenants or did you... Oh, yeah. My dad uh, used to get us in for for cheap labour every now and again, (laughs) painting walls and clearing out properties and stuff, yeah. yeah. I'm sure your son will do the same (laughs) in in the future. He will. So that first property deal then, tell tell me the numbers, tell me a little bit about it because we all make mistakes, don't we, with our first few property deals. Uh, what was yours like? So, it, it, yeah, I mean, going back to my first property deal, it wasn't a mistake. It was actually, it was a good deal, good solid deal. It wasn't, it wasn't amazing. Um, but the thing is, this is what I tell everyone is to just get stuck in and get your first one get over the line, get started. Uh, so it was a two up, two down property in, in the centre of Middlesbrough. 
Um, and I purchased it for 37,000. I mean, people from down south, if you're, if you're listening, 37,000, you can't even buy a car for that these days. Literally. But yeah, 37,000. And it was a property that was, I believe, was about to get repossessed, even though I didn't know any about any of those strategies back, back then. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was run down. So we bought it, we probably spent no more than £5,000 on it, which again, um, I had to get stuck in. Obviously, £5,000 isn't a lot for a refurbishment, but I had to get stuck in and, and sort yeah, of do quite... In those quite days, I bet it was. In no, yeah, in those days, I mean, we're not going back that far. That far no, before. I meant from your, your own financial, <laughs> but, being a young yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, five grand is not a lot for a refurb, but due, obviously we got stuck in and done quite a lot of it ourselves. So, yeah, um, yeah and we turned it around and then I got it rented out and it's been... It was paid me sort of 450 quid a month um, ever since. Yeah, I'm just thinking to back to how many of my clients over the years have told me that five grand is achievable for a full back-to-brick <laughs> but the, uh, they soon find out otherwise. Yeah, they're dreaming. So from that property, did you were you prolific from them? Did, did that give you the taste you needed to, to then go on? Or was there a gap in... No. So there was, there was, there was a quite a significant gap from then. So the only reason I'd bought that property was because I had money um, from from the sale of sale of the, the business that I previously had. Uh, then I went to uh, university and completed my degree, went into engineering. And uh, over the years, I sort of just looked back and, and thought, this property has been paying me sort of every month, month in, month out for the last so many years um, without really me having to do much apart from the odd sort of um, tenancy tenancy um, renewal tenancy renewal and change of tenancy odd maintenance here and there yeah brilliant uh, I mean, so you know property is not as passive as, as, as some people on social media like to make out I don't think but you know you experienced in the early days that it can be quite passive yeah yeah it's, it's, it's not completely passive but it's as passive as as it can get, really. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've still got to de- deal with tenant tenants. You've still got to deal with maintenance requests. Obviously, keeping up with legislations in in terms of sort of certificates, etc. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I noticed that this property's been paying me month in month out for several years. So I took about four or five year gap from right. when I um, when I first bought that property, and uh, yeah, noticed this property's been paying me month in month out for the last. God knows how many years, yeah. Um, and yeah, decided that this is something that I want to scale up because you're not exchanging your time for money; you're yeah. making your money work work for you. Yeah. And uh, obviously, when you're in when you're in a career, you can't really scale up the hours as such. I mean, you can go from forty hours to fifty hours a week, but you can't really go a hundred hours, hundred and fifty hours because it's just it's not scalable. It's not practical. No. Whereas you can do that with property; you can buy one, two, three, ten, twenty, thirty. And the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, totally agree. And knowing you, as I do personally, I'm sure during that period, you said that a few years, uh, I'm sure you were reading books and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, et cetera, et cetera. I know you've never done any property training, the, the same, as me, same as me, but you do like to read, read a good property book as well, business book. Yeah, 100%, yeah. So uh, education is, is key, sort of just self-education, really, whether it's listening to podcasts. I mean, there's loads of podcasts these days, especially... This one, this is one of the yeah, best the, podcasts the number, that I've come the across. Number one, yeah. Number one. 
and um, yeah, you've got podcasts, you've got books, you've got YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's loads of forums online. Uh, the, the amount of content out there yeah. is, uh, is is amazing, really. Yeah, I think there's so much free content out there, and I'm the same as you. I've never done any property training. and You really don't need to. I think it takes longer doing it the way we did, but you're saving yourself tens of thousands mm. um, in education costs personally. Yeah, yeah, and I mean... It all comes down to sort of what type of style you learn best. So for me personally, I learn best by doing. Um, I can only sit in the classroom so much reading about something. But if I'm not going out there and and implementing it, then I'm not really going to gain much. No, I totally agree with that. And it's the old adage, you know, save money by learning from other people's mistakes rather than your own. But I don't really feel the lesson from the mistake really hits home unless it's your Until own experience. you do it, 100%, yeah. And I really don't think personally that I've t- I take other people's mistakes on board because you're not having the emotional side of it. Yeah, yeah. you haven't gone through that pain um, as such. And what you've touched on there is a great point. Learn from other people's mistakes. So another way of educating um, is by going out and sort of networking with 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 other property investors um, or taking out people for a, for a cup of coffee or for a meal and just picking their brains, um, I, that's that's been a great way for me to be honest. Yeah, for sure. So we've gone from buy to lets, a little bit of a gap, some more buy to lets. Now, is it fair to call you to refer to you as as a HMO specialist? <laughs> so yeah, I do have quite a few HMOs in uh, in and around sort of the Teesside area, specifically sort of t- around Teesside University. Um, but yeah, I do, I do HMOs, I do commercial property, as you know, buy the lets. Um, yeah, so it's quite a sort of diverse portfolio. So why did you go, why did you choose to go that way? I know a lot of people do sort of buy to let, service accommodation, stroke HMO, it's sort of a natural progression. What was the, the logic behind you going from buy to lets to HMOs? So HMO for me is a scalable business. It, I mean, it's a lot more scalable than um, buy to let yeah. in terms of speed. So you can scale, I mean, by by sort of buying one HMO um, and converting it into a six bedroom, for instance, that's going to give you the income of potentially six buy to lets. Um, but again, just doing one property. It's a little bit more hands-on in terms of a little bit more management, but yeah, it's just basically a buy to let on steroids without sort of the hassle of dealing with six six properties. Yeah, so you... Mainly in student HMOs or professional HMOs? Yeah, so mainly, so mainly student HMOs, but I do have a few professional HMOs. I've also got some um, HMOs that let to social housing as well. So, right, okay. So, yeah, so there's a bit of a mix there. Oh, brilliant. Well, it's good to be diverse, and I think, you know, even though they are all HMOs, the different tenant demographics you've got can only stand you in good stead over time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you sort of when you when you refurbishing a property, you need to know what your tenant demographic is because yeah. then you obviously uh, suit your your refurbishment to to suit that. Yeah. Do you see do you see yourself buying more HMOs in the future? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, for me, I'm I'm always looking to buy HMOs or commercial property um, or sort of commercial conversions. Uh, but for me, it always depends on the location. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been a few of my HMOs, Dave, and you've seen the location is key. So sort of they're always prime location. The the most recent one that I've just done, it's literally over the road from the university, so you can't get any closer. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. That latest one you've done, uh, which we'll touch on later, is a, is a cracker. So that leads on nicely, actually, to out of all the deals you've done, what is your favourite deal 
not necessarily the best deal. It could well be the best deal. But what's your favourite deal you've done and why? I would probably say the favourite deal that I've done is probably my, my latest one, the one that I've just finished. I thought you might say that. Yeah, just because it, it was... Um, it was challenging, but also quite rewarding, um, and the numbers are great on it as well. So tell us about that deal then. Yeah, so it's a, it's a property directly opposite um, Teesside University, and uh, when I bought it, it was it was a vacant um, commercial property, so it was it had a commercial um, retail premises on the ground floor, and then it had like a really old dated HMO upstairs. It was only a five bedroom, very basic. It had one bathroom shared between five people. Um, so it was really run down. The, 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 the previous landlord that was selling it, um, it, it obviously had it for a while and was retiring. So it was a, it was a really sort of um, run down asset. So, but I seen the potential that this property has just by viewing it. And what I've ended up doing is using permitted development, converting the ground floor retail unit, um, splitting it into two, keeping the retail at the front, but then converting the rear half to a, uh, a self-contained apartment. So that's that's been great. No planning permission was, was required. It's quite a diverse setup then. So commercial at the front, Com- standard residential at the rear, yep. and, and then, then a HMO above. And then I've got wow. a HMO, yeah, so I've got a HMO above. So originally it was, a, like I said, really run down, five bedroom HMO with one shared bathroom. Um, I've converted that into a six-bedroom all-en-suite HMO. So by obviously um, changing the layout, we've managed to gain one extra bedroom. Superb. That sounds awesome, mate. We'll have to uh, talk more about that later. Um, So, you know, you've you've been on your own property journey now. It's a relatively short journey. You're only a young man still. Um, But you also source property and refurb properties for, for other people as well now? Yeah, so I've got a property refurbishment business. Um, I also uh, source properties for mainly out-of-town investors, but I also trade property as well. So I do buy property and then put them in, in, in auctions and, and trade them. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I do cover sort of quite a wide um, range of sort of property activities. Brilliant. So out-of-town investors, most of your clients, are they sort of London-based, are they? Most, Yeah, so most of them are um, southern-based. I mean, I've got a couple that are overseas as well. So I've, I've, got, I've got one one client that's based in Qatar, one client that's based in, in the Emirates, um, and then I've got another client that's based in Germany, and then the rest are, are, are UK-based. So yeah, I mean, I uh, cater to, uh, to... Worldwide property sourcer. Exactly. Not many love people it, can mate. put that on their CV, can they? They can't, mate. They can't. I love it. Fair play to you. Fair play to you. So, coming to refurbs then, a lot, a lot of your refurbs, are they HMOs for, for other clients as well? No. So, they're, uh, again, very diverse. So, it can be anything from a, a two-up, two-down single let to a three-bed semi or, or um, HMOs. Or recently finished one in, in Darlington. That was a, com- a commercial conversion. We converted that into uh, four apartments. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's diverse. Anything from anything from, like I said, single lets to commercial property. Cater to any need, eh? Exactly. So how do you find what are the most difficult things that people speak to me about and tell me that they find difficult, which I find quite quite easy to be fair. Dealing with trades 
on, yeah. a, on a day-to-day basis. How do you find that? It is difficult. There's no word. There's no. There's no word, No point lying about it. It is very difficult. But the thing is, um, over the years, you tend to uh, develop relationships with with certain trades that you can use over and over again. Um, there's also obviously you tend to the more experience that you have um, of dealing with with um, trades you uh, you tend to know sort of how to how to work how they work um, you tend to well, you, you tend to kiss a few frogs as you go along don't you oh I'm still kissing frogs till this day yeah yeah well, that's, <laughs> that's a story for another day but we'll stick to the property stuff um, <laughs> <laughs> so do you, have you found have you got a main sort of core group of trades now yeah. that you're stuck with I've got a core group of trades, um, which comprise of sort of several joiners, several decorators, several plasterers um, that I use over and over again, and I have used for, for years. Um, but every now and again, I do have to sort of add uh, new trades to the to the mix, really, um, just as and when sort of needs needs arise. Yeah. The thing with trades is the most difficult thing, I guess, is in any other profession. If you were hiring somebody, you'd have a CV in front of you. You'd have references. You'd have yeah. quite a lot to go off on before you gave them the job. With trades, ninety-five percent of it is giving them a go, isn't it? And seeing how they perform. You can take references off other people, but we all have different standards, don't we? Um, so I find that's the most difficult thing. That first job you give someone's quite quite nerve-wracking at times. It is, yeah. So, um, like you touched on there, there's there's a few things that you can do. Uh, at the forefront to sort of mi- mitigate some of the risks by sort of only using recommended trades by people that you know um, and getting sort of getting sort of informal references if you like um, and there's, there's also a few other things that you sort of you tend to you tend to pick up over the years for instance is the trade turning up in a car or is he turning up in a van has he got his own tools or is he hiring tools all the time has he got laborers that work with him or is he working by himself so there's, there's a few there's a few things that you sort of tend to pick up on over the years um that also sort of give you confidence or or sort of give you doubts on on the competence of that trade yeah for sure so i mean you've got all sorts going on as i have you, you're spinning a lot of plates and i know you wouldn't have it any other way um, so you've got your own buy-to-lets, your own HMOs, you're doing refurbs for yourself, you're doing refurbs for other people, you're sourcing for other people internationally, as we've just as we've just found out. Yeah. Um, where is your main focus currently? So main focus, and, it, and it's always been the same focus really, is by sort of growing the largest property portfolio that I can possibly can. That's always been the main focus and it always will be, just buying properties, adding it to the portfolio and just and watching the numbers grow really yeah yeah i mean it's definitely a long-term game and i see a lot of people getting out of the property market currently the investment market who have only been in the market two to three years mm. interest rates were low we've had free money for 10 years haven't yeah we? i mean it's been an incredible time when you look back you almost can't mm. believe it but a lot of investors are leaving the market now because interest rates have risen the deals don't stack up and i just look at them and i think what did you what, what what were you thinking like mm. what did you think was going to happen um you know property's a long-term game that breeds great benefits over decades yeah it's not an in and out yeah, yeah. trade it's not stocks and shares is it so 
Yeah, so so this time that we're in is it's a great time to be honest because it is going to differentiate the amateur investors from the professionals. Um, we've got high interest rates, which okay, it's going to be um, you're going to be making less profit on a month month to month basis when you take into consideration your mortgage expenses. Um, but what people need to realise is this is only going to be short term. Interest rates aren't going to stay this high forever. No. Um, they will come back down to they might not come back down to what we've been used to sort of the last 10 years but they will come back down to a more reasonable level let's say so for now it's just sort of it's just um just trying to make the most out of the opportunities that come your way because uh, if you can make a deal work today, then in, in, in a few years' time when interest rates come back down, that, that deal is going to go from an okay deal to a fantastic deal. Totally agree. Absolutely agree. And when you look at the interest rates over the last 50 years, we're only at average interest rates, really. I, I do agree with you uh, that they are going to come down slightly in the next uh, in the next year or two. Not to the numbers we've seen previously, but I do think they'll come down as, as you've touched on. So I guess my next question is, in today's environment, with interest rates the way they are, with refurb costs the way they are, material costs, do you think standard buy-to-let property investment still works today as we sit here? They do. They still work. Um, not every deal works, but that's when you sort of you need to dial in on your numbers really and dial in onto um, your your local knowledge or obviously leverage somebody that does have that local knowledge because there's certain properties that will not cash flow um, that will not cash flow anything uh, and there's some properties that'll cash flow a little bit and then there's some properties that will cash flow a lot of money um, so it's just knowing the numbers knowing what type of property you're going to invest in. And obviously trying to buy them at the right price, not overpaying for the property. Because obviously, the more you overpay, the uh, the higher your uh, your mortgage payments are going to be. Yeah, you certainly make your money when you buy, don't you? And I know we're both big fans of this. I remember us, us sitting in the Holiday Inn about five or six years ago, having a coffee and planning our massive property portfolios. And even then, interest rates, I think we were getting... The base rate was almost zero, and you and I were getting sort of three percent. Three percent, yeah, that was the average. Yeah, yeah. Let mortgages. Even then, both of us—I know you were the same as me—were doing our numbers on six or seven percent. Yeah, as a buffer, and if it yeah. worked on six or seven percent, then we'd go ahead with the deal. Obviously, the huge bonus we had was that three or four percent buffer that we had. But you know, to, to cover your own backside, um, you know, it's always a good idea to work on a higher interest rate anyway. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it's always important to stress test your um, property deal. So by obviously stress testing it to a higher interest rate, stress testing it to incorporate voids and maintenance costs. Um, yeah, because then you're obviously mitigating any risk down the line. Um, if you've got any unexpected repairs or if you've got any unexpected voids, etc., it's all factored in. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Yeah, I think we're in total agreement on that one. Um so I guess the next next thing to ask for you then is you've got a young family, uh, gorgeous young family. You've got all sorts going on in, in business and property, etc. You've obviously got great mates like myself. What does the future <laughs> hold for, for Theo? So future holds for me that's a great question so yeah i mean i've got i've got very sort of clear and concise goals um again that's that's a it's another thing that that 
that's quite important really is to set clear goals. Um, so my goals are very simple to just create the largest property portfolio within the area. Yeah, brilliant. I love that. Very clear, very certain. And you've had that goal since the day I met you. Oh. And the fact that goal hasn't wavered one little bit, no. I think it's testament to the success that you've had. My last couple of things I want to ask, and I'm going to ask every guest I have on, because I think these questions are really open-ended, and I think they'll be of huge benefit to anyone thinking about starting an investment, uh, a property investment journey. So if you had one tip for a brand new property investor just starting out, what would that tip be? So surround yourself with with people um, that are a few steps ahead of you. Um, network with them, pick their brains, take them out for coffees, take them out for for, for meals, um, and just just sort of surround yourself surround yourself by by sort of more knowledgeable people than you are. Um, there's there's a great saying: surround yourself with. Uh, with uh, five people, if you surround yourself with five people that are uh, successful, you're going to be the sixth successful person. So, uh, surround yourself with with people that are uh, ahead of you. Um, educate yourself, read books, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube. There's so much content out there, free content as well. Or you can obviously go down the the paid sort of mentorship route. Um, and then don't over on lies. I can't stress this enough. If you see a great property deal that stacks up just go for it stop online isn't it stop or you get into analysis paralysis before you know it a year's gone by two years have gone by you're still sat on your hands haven't achieved anything i say this all the time mate, to, to new investors that i speak to and it's right that they knew the numbers worked they, they had all this education they, they, they knew how to crunch the numbers it was in front of them in black and white the deal works it was screaming at them to buy it and then this little element of doubt in the back of your head says, oh, yeah. what if it doesn't? What if this happens? Mm. What if happens? You've just got to go for it, haven't you? Yeah, 100%. Not all my property deals over the past decade and a half have been amazing deals on the day I've bought them. Yeah. Some of them have been average or just decent deals. They're now amazing deals. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've, they've grown in capital, capital value. They've cash flowed amazingly well, especially during the low interest rate rises. So you're right, just go for it. Yeah, it. on the like you said there, on the day of the deal, it might not be the best deal, but you look back at ten years' time on the property deals that you have done back then, and they are amazing deals. Like you can only wish that you could turn back time and go out and buy even more at that price, yeah. but uh, that's not how how it works, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I drove down a street um, very close to where we are the other day, and I, I turned down two or three deals in that street, and I was trying to buy them for I think sixty thousand about ten years ago, and and. Um, they wouldn't drop below 65 or 66, so I just turned the deal down. Yeah. I mean, those houses are now 110, 115,000 yeah, yeah, pounds. Yeah. I think, what an idiot. Yeah. Um, but you can get greedy, I guess. Um, no, I mean, that's a thing. Uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and we, we, all, we all sort of wish that we knew what we know now. Yeah. But I do remember when I was a youngster, so many people, sort of 10, 15 years older than me, saying, I wish I'd never sold this house. I wish I'd never... And, and they were only talking about their principal place of residence. They were only talking about their residential home. Yeah. But it really hit home with... I, I remember listening as a six or seven-year-old, listening to people saying, wish I'd never sold that house. And I remember sat there thinking, I wonder why they're saying that? And then I asked my dad, oh, why, why are they saying that? Oh, it's because it's doubled in value. And I, even when I was... Before, before I was 10 years old, I used to th- sit there and think, what an idiot for selling that property. 
And I think that sort of stuck with me as as I as I grew in and became old enough to buy my own properties. Yeah, 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 hundred um, percent. Like I said, the um, you can't turn back time. So you, I mean, the best time to buy property was 10, 20 years ago. The second time, to, second best time to buy property is is now. Exactly. Yeah, I live by that. I absolutely live by that. Um, and next question is: If you could start all over again, what would you do differently? That's a tricky question, Dave. So, um, if going back to, to obviously how I started is I bought a property and then I waited four or five years, obviously, before I bought the second one. So, if I can turn back the clock, um, I would have sort of bought the first one and just kept on buying ever since. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I wish I didn't pull out of, not pull out of deals, but I wish I never... Um, decline deals over two or three, five thousand pound because, like you said, there a lot of properties have doubled in value in the last five to ten years. Yeah. So, what's five grand in the grand scheme of things? Exactly. It's, it's, it's nothing. It is, and it's. I think in the northeast, capital growth is never the main focus, is it, for any no, investor? It's not. So, I think back in the day, sort of five, ten years ago, that that the, the period that you're referring to there. I don't think any of us really genuinely expected any capital growth. We, we thought those values were going to be around forever. Yeah. We knew interest rates were, were never going to stay as low, but capital values, I think we all fell into a trap of thinking, oh, well, 50, 60 grand's normal for the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now, like you say, some of them are more than doubled. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, They've not just doubled, but obviously the rent has also increased exactly. significantly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's just it's just an it's an all round great investment to get into property. I mean everything we've believed in property has has sort of become true, and it's been quite a, an inconspicuous rise in rents and capital values for me. Like I've always known property is a great investment, but I've all and people always said rents go up and capital values go up, and for sort of the ten, first ten years of my property investment journey, that didn't happen. Yeah. I was getting good rents, yeah, um, and I was buying at good prices, but none of them were going up. No. And then all of a sudden, within two or three years, yeah, just so, shot up. So that goes back to sort of the property cycle and how they say um, property is cyclical. It's every 18 years, give or take. Um, so you can have sort of a phase where property doesn't do anything for a few years. But then all of a sudden, you've got that upwards trajectory of yeah. ca- um, insane capital growth. And yeah, and that's when sort of the majority of the amateur investors get involved yeah. through sort of that growth phase. Um, but obviously, the best investments are done either in a market downturn or when the market stagnated. Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely agree. And I just think we're absolutely blessed to be involved with the best investment asset class in in the world and in the best area of the country. Literally, literally. <laughs> we would say that we're the north. We're, yeah, we're I mean, the north, the northeast, obviously, in general, is one of the best areas to invest in the northeast. Not from a capital growth standpoint, but from a, a yield standpoint and obviously a cash flow standpoint. It's fantastic. Yeah, I remember when I first got into property, I saw how low the prices were in the northeast compared to the likes of London, Birmingham, Nottingham. Even I had family down there, and I used to think, "Oh God, I'm in the I'm in the wrong area here." I'm, it, if only I lived in one of these higher value areas, I could make more money. And then as I educated myself, I had a light bulb moment and thought, hang on a minute, I'm in the best area possible here. Yeah. I can buy in low rents. Yields were sort of 12 to 15% on a buy to let back in those days. And it was just like, yeah, keep this quiet. Don't tell anyone. Yeah, yeah, but you haven't kept it quiet very well because every, every man and his dog from down <laughs> south is up here now. Yeah, well, that's the only thing. It was always going to happen. I think the, the birth of the internet was going always going to do that, wasn't it? But um, 
So, right, I mean, Theo, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, you know, I always love love sitting and, and chatting to you about property. You're very inspiring, and you're one of those people that when I spend time with them, it just makes me want to do more and more and more, and I think that's the biggest compliment I can give you. Oh, and um, keep doing what you do, mate. It's a pleasure to see your journey and, and see how, how far you've come. got one last question. Who is your favourite estate agency in the northeast? Oh, hands down, Orange Sales and Lettings, David Lamb. If you're looking to sell a property or rent a property, get in touch with him. Super. Look after you. Super. I really appreciate you saying that, and uh, I'm sure you'll say it on every other podcast as well. But if you need any refurbs, come to me. <laughs> Refurb Northeast. <laughs> You've got options with the refurbs. If anyone wants to get hold of you, get in touch with you, just see what you're doing, just follow your progress, what's the best place to do that? So I'm on all the um, social media platforms, just type in my name, Theo Al-Ali. Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, I'm even on TikTok these days. So yeah, I've got two companies, Al-Ali Property Group and Refurb Northeast. Yeah, is there a prefer- uh, preferable platform? Instagram's probably the easiest one to get in touch with, just send me a DM. If there's really? anything I can help with, um, happy to help. Superb. Theo, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Theo. Thanks for having me.